Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Boston's Tall Heights are singer-guitarist Tim Harrington and singer-cellist Paul Wright. They started playing simple acoustics on the streets of Boston to now reaching Sony Music Masterworks for which they're releasing their biggest, brightest, and riskiest work thus far. The record Neptune is the band's latest step in the ongoing evolution of their sound and style. I caught up with Tim and Paul at Rough Trade Records in Brooklyn and spoke with them backstage before their performance. We talked about their beginnings, the music of their youth, Tim's love of painting and poetry, and a lot more. It's exciting to release this podcast at the same time with the release of their new album, Neptune. If you have a chance, check them out on tour for the record. They're even more convincing and strong live. They play October 6th in New York City at the Mercury Lounge. You're listening to their track, River Wider, off the new album, Neptune. Let's listen into some of it, followed by our conversation. started in music like where you're from where you grew up and how music sort of entered your life okay so um, we are both from central Massachusetts in a town called Sturbridge mm-hmm. and that's where we met uh, we grew up going to the same grade school and then we went to the same high school um, Paul's a couple of years older than me and was really good friends with uh, my older brother mm-hmm. and uh, so I was always kicking around it's like the the little brother type as we were driving to school t- together and stuff like that yeah um, so I've known Paul since I was in the first grade mm-hmm. uh, and then um, in high school we sang a little bit together in different like choral groups yeah. and then we went to different colleges and during at, well, after Paul graduated college during my last two years of college that's when we started kind of emailing each other um, song ideas that we were writing mm-hmm. and we'd uh, just construct songs remotely um, he was in Italy I was in Worcester Mass yeah. and um, then he came home and I graduated and in the summer of 2010 we started uh, performing street performing uh, in the streets of Boston and that's when we realized that we were maybe not making something that was worth anything at that moment in time but we we could tell we were on the on the right path yeah um, so you started busking yes yeah yeah that was the sort of the step first step for us were you writing your own stuff from the beginning yeah well I mean, what, the beginning is such an elusive thing for us because we've known each other so long. Yeah. Uh, like before we were street performing, we were starting to sort of write together and cover songs together and all that. But uh, what we have decided is, is the true birth of Tall Heights as we know it is when we were street performing because it took us a, lot, a long time to sort of muck through the, the terrible music that we were making before that point in time and that's when we made our first EP Rafters yeah. um, which was sort of the first release that made 
any sort of noise outside of our families and friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that's, that's sort of what we identified as the beginning for us. Well, when you started out as singing, right? That yeah. was your first thing. How did that come about? Because, you know, when that's you're young, it. a lot of times you pick up an instrument, a guitar or something. Mm-hmm. How did you come to singing? Was music like really big in your household or well, did you grow up with a certain kind of music you were listening to? My folks, um, really or my mother in particular really tried to push music on us mm-hmm. at a very young age like she was uh doing the piano lesson thing yeah. uh, for us um me and my brothers trying to make us learn how to play that very difficult instrument and it just never took i think maybe partially because my mom was making me do it i just thought it was probably stupid um right but then um through all throughout I was always really interested in the creative side of things like I as a young kid I loved to draw and doodle and paint and mm-hmm. write poetry and and I would even like write songs without knowing exactly how to construct them on any instrument I yeah. would just like make melodies and pair them with with poetry and and I'd just like record them on this stupid little like tape recorder and then hide it <laughs> like that kind of thing yeah um and so um so I always, I always loved that kind of thing, and then it, once I got to high school, that's when I realized that, you know, if I just learned an instrument, then I could actually make songs, mm-hmm. and I started playing in a band at that point in time, and um, so I picked up the guitar and just kind of learned how to do it by taking some lessons and also learning from my friends. Yeah. But what were you listening to back then? Like in the house, what were your parents listening like to? Like growing up? Yeah. Well, my folks, they didn't really listen to a lot of music in the house, actually. Like, I didn't know who the Beatles were until middle school for instance. Oh, okay. So yeah. it was more of like it was like this it was is just the idea of music that my yeah. folks really wanted me to pick up on, you yeah. know? Um so yeah, I mean like my music education was fairly primitive, uh like from a listening perspective. Right. I, d- I didn't know like the classics, uh like the great, you know, you know, rock and rollers of yeah. the 60s and 70s and stuff like that until pretty late um, but once I discovered that stuff I really really dove in uh, with my with one friend in particular who we were just hanging out with, with last night mm-hmm. actually uh, he and I he had a really great sort of uh, education in music from his his dad um, who was just like a music junkie uh, you know 60s or nothing kind yeah. of guy yeah. um, and so uh, that's where I learned about all that stuff and I, I really really kind of took to it quickly and and haven't stopped you know listening to all sorts of music since then um but yeah i mean like in high school i was listening to like incubus and blink 182 and green day and stuff like that um and then i found dispatch and dispatch kind of brought me to the acoustic instruments and vocal harmonies and stuff like that and and put me on a different sort of path um creatively speaking and that you know that was like during like the dispatching guster days, um, and so I was really into that. Um, and then um, Gregory Allen Isakoff mm-hmm. is another dude who just sort of like kept me moving in a certain direction. Once I discovered him, him I, I was brought more towards folk and harmony than ever before. And and yeah, it's been just a, a progression like that. Yeah. Um, Paul has a very very different story of <laughs> how he learned how to yeah. play music. What was yours? Yeah, my my family was is very musical, and it was a classical house for sure. Like my parents um, could probably name like five pop songs yeah. total, um, if that. 
So you listen to a lot of classical. One of them would be Mr. Sandman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did you listen to that a lot? That Mr. Song? Sandman? Yeah. yeah. I did. Uh, <laughs> Hell of a song. Hell of a song. <laughs> yeah. Great song. Apparently my dad used to play it at like um, school assemblies. He'd uh-huh. play it at the, on piano. That was a favorite. Um, but yeah, my mom plays violin. Mm-hmm. She like put it down for, she grew up playing it and then kind of rediscovered it um, as a second career and got trained to teach kids. And so she was playing a ton of violin while I was growing up. Yeah. And uh, my dad and my brother played piano and my uh, my grandfather was a, a concert pianist, mm-hmm. um, sort of on the side. In, uh, my grandmother played cello, and that's partly where cello started happening yeah. for me. Was it around or something that you identified with because you were just familiar with seeing it? Or? She had already passed away, but it was sort of, you know, it's like in the family yeah. consciousness. Yeah. And uh, I was thinking about other instruments, and I, nobody really remembers how we decided, let's like give it a try, but yeah. it had something to do with, with my late grandmother. Yeah. And... Um, did you study it, study it, or did you just play it? Like I did, yeah. yeah. You know, t- took private lessons, uh, starting in, in third grade and through college and yeah. after a bit. Um, and then, like, high school, my brother and I started playing a little guitar, and uh, we used to play, like, duo gigs together at mm-hmm. this local bistro, and uh, a lot of, like, instrumental stuff, like instrumental covers. Um, what and were you guys into at that time? Like, what are you, what are you just listening to in your day to day? Yeah, I mean, it was like a, a lot of, a lot of like, just pop radio at the time. But then, like, got super into, um, yeah, like old, old John Mayer and like mm-hmm. uh, later the Damien Rice O record was was a revelation. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and like some. Like James Taylor was my brother's yeah. favorite, so we we rocked a lot of James Taylor, That's cool. um, which went over well at the local bistro. And um, yeah, so then I eventually started writing songs, <clears throat> as Tim did, and um, was doing a singer songwriter thing. And, yeah. yeah. Did you bring? Do you feel like you guys brought a somewhat academic approach to playing if you were studying it? You know, because you both have an academic somewhat academic upbringing in music I mean because like I think about it my in my experience it was the total opposite my dad listened to like Marvin Gaye and all sorts of Motown and pretty that was pretty much it and I never learned or I mean I took saxophone lessons for a little bit but it's basically I just had to find like I got a guitar and then I got the Led Zeppelin box set and I just tried to learn (laughs) guitar by listening and I never learned any like you know tablature or any you know I just went at it that way which is the opposite so I think it informed my musical sensibilities moving forward because I love improvisation and things like you know jazz and like electronic stuff that I don't understand or that I can't figure out you know what yeah. I mean? so I wonder if that when you're writing songs or when you're thinking about music now if that has a big influence on the way that you digest what you're listening to or the, what you're writing and creating yeah mostly I think just in um, in thinking about chord progressions mm-hmm. That's probably like the most academic thing about, and like maybe like our our harmony, vocal harmony structure for cello. Um, I mean, there are definitely people, plenty of people playing cello in non-classical formats, but oh, yeah. I feel like a lot of string players, classical string players, have a hard time like stepping out of that like sheet 
music reading yeah. role and yeah I mean like I was I had already done a lot of improv like just playing with my brother and stuff and yeah. so to a certain extent I had to like not think about classical cello while trying to get it going in, right. in what was originally a, a folky way um, but yeah we talk about chords a lot yeah not that we play very complex chords but progressions we talk about a lot yeah but when you're playing cello too it seems like I mean when you're you're playing it in different ways too right you're yeah. kind of playing it percussively sometimes and it's not always prominent in every song you know a lot of times I think with an instrument that's slightly outside the normal guitar bass drums you know keys or piano or whatever it tends to take that front role and I think in your music it's really nice how it's it's just part of it's woven into the rest of the songs it's not yeah, jumping it's out talk sometimes yeah I mean I'm until we have a bassist I'm like faking it yeah as, as bass on some songs and um, yeah yeah the woman who played uh, cello in our band was uh, we didn't know it at first but she was uh, a punk bass player in a band called Spitboy in San Francisco uh-huh. which is like a really heavy all-girl punk band oh yeah and we didn't find that out till a little later but she brought an unconventional approach to it which I thought was pretty cool that's awesome you know? yeah um, yeah so whenever you um, when you guys go on tour and you're you know writing music um, what's I'm, I don't know why I'm, I'm always really interested in the kind of like what the uh, creative influence is like are you looking for things outside of music as inspiration I mean I know you you said that you've done some painting and drawing and yeah. and art mm-hmm. how do you guys also think about artwork in relation to the music whether it's you know your cover art or just yeah. inspiration or what you're looking at yeah I think that um, if you get bogged down in that heady songwriting space like for too much of your day mm-hmm. um it gets it gets really dark really fast you know like you're just you just need to step out of that it's sort of like a, a play a, such an intense place to be where you're like trying to create something that's meaningful and beautiful and all that it's just like a lot of a lot of pressure on 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 one person's mind uh so i i find that the other arts are what help you kind of like step back out of that darkness um after you've spent x amount of time there so like for me you know like appreciating something besides what i'm trying to do will will or or creating something that's not my music you know like so doing a painting or listening to somebody else's music or taking a walk and just like appreciating like the beauty of of like architecture and landscape you know what i mean like that kind of thing um i think that's really valuable um that's like a valuable counterpart to to just creating your own art Mm -hmm. so i don't i mean i have done some like poetry uh reading before before i like hit a songwriting session Mm -hmm. uh but that's kind of the extent of the way i like fuel the fire of creation with other art uh i use the other art as just yeah like a, a little bit of a reprieve from from the creation yeah. of my own music yeah you know it's recently i went to do you know the museum dia beacon no mm-hmm. it's a, it's kind of a museum in uh, beacon new york upstate and there's a lot of minimal art up there but i was mm-hmm. listening to a lot of your songs and it, it resonated with the, especially like the agnes martin room which are these very minimal kind of beautiful 
austere paintings, you know? Yeah. Do you guys do the museum? I mean, are you into, like, going to we some work? We don't go to museums. No. Yeah. But that sounds awesome. You should go to the... <laughs> Yeah, you should I mean, go to that I, museum and listen to your song. Yeah. I think same. we both really appreciate museums. Um, and um, similar, I feel this way about all, like some some types of jazz music, mm-hmm. where it's like sometimes I just feel a little ill-equipped to to ingest some of the stuff. Like I don't, I can just take it in in the way it hits me, which I think is a really great way of taking art in. Yeah. You know, that's like the way you should. But at the same time, there's so much more to be. Uh, attained by being a, a, a well-versed cons- consumer of that art. Yeah. You know? Like, I mean, there's if you le- read a poem and you don't know what a third of the words even mean in the poem, then you're not receiving that poem the way the artist intended right. it to yeah. be received. Like, you know, people hide behind this idea that, like, art, that there's no wrong way to ingest art. And I, I agree that, like, once you're on a certain level of understanding, uh, you know, for instance, in poetry, if you don't know what the words mean, you should look them up, yeah. you know, because they mean something. Right. And, and so you, if you're just like, well, it means this to me because you're not understanding what the words mean. I mean, like, I don't mean to, I'm not trying to be snobby, but like words mean things. And if you don't know what they mean and you're just guessing what the meaning of the poem is, then you're receiving it incorrectly. Right. So... That's sort of how that vocabulary is what I'm lacking when it comes to a lot of forms of visual art. Which is really, you know, a great thing to hear because a lot of people, there's so many people who maybe aren't artists or don't devote their life to learning about art or making it, who will just say, I don't understand, walk into a gallery and look at work and say, I don't get it. And just expect it, expect to be able to understand that language immediately. And that in art is a language and there is art history that comes, you know, it's seen throughout all these filters of what's come before it and you study it and you learn about it and you're speaking within that language. So you wouldn't go into a mechanic shop and be able to, you know, open a hood and just expect to understand how all that stuff works. But when it comes to galleries, people just... A lot of people just think, oh, I'm supposed to just know how this works. You know? Of course. So it's it's funny that, you know, people do that, you know. Yeah, and I think within each er, each and every form of art, there's what is very easy to ingest and there's what is more difficult to take down. Uh, and, you know, when it's easier, then more people will, will take to it and then maybe it's a little, you know, cheap or mm-hmm. whatever, you know. And I think for every artist, you need to find your your uh, happy place on that spectrum of yeah. like how far into like the un, un, like to what to which slice of this population am I uh, purveying my art to you know yeah. and and I think it's a it's it shouldn't be a task of like working backwards from the people mm-hmm. I think you should work from within and just create something that feels meaningful right. and then contextualize that as you will yeah. um, but but there are definitely decisions that we make where you come to that like little you know hook or chorus or whatever and you're like well I could do it this way and everybody will love it but it's stupid you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it or I could resist that temptation because it it would be more artistic to do so in, in as I as I define it right yeah uh, and uh, whether or not we decide to do that or not in that moment is a discussion and, and yeah. we will sometimes say yes let's do it because it's cool and awesome and fun right sometimes we'll say no we, we're not going to go that far yeah it's like how you want to connect to people yeah. and how directly mm-hmm. or whether you want it to be kind of removed 
But I think that's one of the most, you know, navigating somewhat between both of those worlds. I think that's what's amazing about music is that you do have this direct language. Like it's, I think it's less encumbered by, you know, all the filters that artwork has because you have such a visual history there. With music, it's something that resonates kind of within you, you know what I mean? It's less of a language that's filtered through all this other stuff. I mean, it's, you know, people's understanding of your sound may be seen through certain music that they feel like, you know, you're in dialogue with. But at the same time, people are going to walk in and see the show and they're either going to feel it and be into it, you know, or they're just, they're not. But it's something that's more direct. I think developing that vocabulary within a huge realm of pop music Mm -hmm. is just like so much easier than developing that vocabulary for visual arts. So like for that, I really tip my hat to people like you who are actually able to convert their art into a, 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 a sustainable existence because I think it's just incredible. Like it's so much harder to do yeah, that. It's not, so I, well, yeah. it's not easy for I'm not going to argue with your point at all. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other things I wanted to ask you about is um, your when you think of doing your cover art and stuff like that. What is kind of like your inspiration and how is how much are you trying to sort of merge? You know, the aesthetic of what let's say your new album is coming out. Is it something you think about? I'm always fascinated. Is it something you think about beforehand and you have an idea of what it's going to look like? Do you make the music and then think this kind of has this vibe and and will work with some person, you know, someone specifically with it? Yeah, how, more, do you, how do you approach that? More of that latter vision, but in the past, um, you know, we've got a couple records that we don't talk about anymore. And in the past, Tim always designed our covers. Yeah. And it was, it was always an after the recording process thing where it was like, what visually will um, speak to this yeah. uh, music, and uh, yeah, I don't, um, I don't. My like, my brain just doesn't totally work in, in that way. Like I, he would show something to me, and I, it's a, it's a yes or a no. But I don't. I would never like be able to conceive of something visually on my own that represents yeah. um, the music. Whereas Tim was always awesome at that. And then more recently, I'm in our, our uh, starting with our 2013 full-length Man of Stone, um, we started working with other folks and photographers and artists, and uh, and that has continued through the EP and the full-length um, with um, a photograph that we've used for the EP and full-length of a wilted iris um, by this gentleman, Robert Llewellyn, who lives down near Charlottesville, and uh, and then designed by um, this awesome team of brothers, Weed and Weed, mm-hmm. um, who are in Philly. And uh, I think I think I can speak for both of us that it's pretty it's cool to give that really important job to somebody else and and have them send something back, and then it's it's. Uh, it's pretty, you know, pretty incredible. It's exciting. Yeah, right? it's yeah. like I think designing our artwork was always a labor of love for Tim, but it, but it was, it was a heavy a burden, you know. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's cool to get something in in the inbox and be like, whoa. Yeah, yeah, I, it's something I still do to this day because I do a lot of animation in my work, and um, I collaborate with musicians all the time. And there's something that they bring to it. You know, for a long time I just made my paintings and I didn't. 
do animation, and it's just something that I started doing. But one of the great byproducts was is I can work with musicians that I know to create sounds to this, mm -hmm. and it totally changed the feel of the work. Yeah. So that collaborative aspect, you know, and being in a band and playing music for a while, and then all of a sudden for 10 years, you're just in your own studio by yourself making work. Yeah. And then the prospect of collaborating again is really exciting. So it's kind of, you know, I would imagine the flip side of that is it's really cool to make that music and then, you know, open up that file or see that image that someone yeah. else is responding to and then, you know, that becomes part of the identity of the music. Yeah, I think that um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really helps you kind of sharpen your claws as an artist mm -hmm. to work with others because you realize your own strengths and weaknesses to tell when you know what is good and what is not good, mm -hmm. you know? And it empowers you to say no, and it empowers you to say yes, yeah. after you've done a lot of collaborating, mm -hmm. because you need to sort of like venture into the, into situations that aren't totally comfortable to see, okay, this is where I draw the line here, or I'm not exactly sure how I feel about this, maybe I'll ask some friends how they feel about it, who are, whom I, I respect, you know? Yeah. And then over time, you just realize, like, I am an artist, I can say yes and no on, on things and know it's the right call, right. because I've done this before, and I'm not just guessing, I'm not just like, I, I can tell that the feeling I have right now means that I'm resolved in my artistic decision to either work with this person or choose this piece of art to augment the song or whatever. That that goes like top to bottom. All artistic decisions are just. It's just. I remember there was a while where I just felt like a little inadequate as an artist, seeing like all these other great artists around and and just putting myself into a whole lot of different situations in, in a collaborative sense. In the end, just made me feel a lot more um, empowered mm -hmm. to just be an artist and not worry about who's better or worse but just like make the calls that feel right because I know they feel right when they feel right because I've felt that before and I know it feels wrong when it feels wrong because yeah. I've also felt that before yeah that intuitive feeling well one of the the other questions I had as far as aesthetics is in your music like in painting the idea of beauty is this hot button issue like it's a very you know taboo or I don't know there's there's it it brings a lot of reaction out of people if someone's explicitly making work that's beautiful you know or about beauty and um, in your music I think there's a lot of beauty in there and then there's a lot of sort of there's a haunting side of it which I think is really you know I like I did an animation recently called the danger and beauty you know which is you know there's a lore of it but then there's also something that pushes you away at the same time and I feel I mean not to you know place that on your music but I I get that sort of vibe from the music you know this there's an aesthetic to it and there's a beauty to it but then at the same time there's like a hauntingness to it is that something you guys are you know conscious of or pushing or you know is that is it just kind of come out that way that's I mean yeah that that's perfect if yeah, I like it. That, that's a great it's totally just a that's high praise according to us like that's that's yeah. just what we would like to hear from our all of our listeners <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's something that you guys are are pretty. You know, do you feel that you, in, in just the same way that you were talking about not giving too much away or not catering too much to something that you think people will enjoy, when you're writing that music, do you feel that balance of like, or is it is it kind of like a balance of where okay, we want this to sound, we're gonna draw people in with the sound, but at the same time, there's got to be this 
other side of it too is that something that you're or does this kind of come out that way because certain people when they write songs it's just intuitive like they and certain people when they make paintings they just make a certain kind of painting like they're, they're more physical right. or some people are really you know labored and tight with the way they do things I mean is that something you guys are conscious of or is it something that just kind of comes out and I imagine too if you're writing together that there's a dynamic there too it sets the tone you know it's kind of a conversation and that becomes part of the content of the music you know you're writing styles together in the way that you're feeding off each other i wonder if the horse that sort of led the cart into to, to where we are now mm-hmm. was actually sound like mm-hmm. not so much like it's like the the nuts and bolts of of writing kind of became less important than how cool and interesting we thought the sounds we were making making were you know what I mean yeah, yeah. so it's like it's like I guess to translate that to the visual arts like there's like a type of like paint like a, a beautiful paint that's just like this hue or this color or whatever mm-hmm. it's just like so like turning the turning the painter on to the point where it's like they could paint anything as long as it has this like this color you know yeah. like they're chasing the color and vibe and feel and then the subject matter is less important yeah and like minimalist paintings that are like like Eve's Klein blue or you know an Ad Reinhardt all black painting where it's just it's like the void of that kind of raw emotion yeah. of the color you yeah. know which is interesting yeah. to think and, about and we like, never when we're collaborating we're never, Paul's never like ooh let's do that so that it's beautiful and haunting you know yeah. like whether it's beautiful and haunting at the end of the day that's your call um yeah, but you so there, are some, there are a lot of people yeah like we are do, doing what, what we love yeah. like we're writing songs that we love but like you I'm glad you find it beautiful and haunting but I could definitely find you a lot of people who just think it's annoying you know yeah I mean? yeah well so, there's everyone feels that way about it you know yeah, you'll find right. other sides of it but yeah but if you're writing something let's say it's a guitar part and it just sounds too crisp or something then you put a bunch of reverb or you just you know what I mean <laughs> that's exactly add some space <laughs> Add some space to it, and you're like, ah, that's more of the feeling that we're trying to capture, you know. Uh, yeah. But the nice thing for me, yeah, I, uh, delay also. Oh yeah, delay. Reverb <laughs> and delay. A little tremolo, a little chorus. Yeah, <laughs> chorus pedal. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, the nice thing for me is when I listen to it. It's funny because, you know, you everyone I think when they listen to music, they run it through that audio filter of like, oh, think you think of different people, you think of different. It's just natural, you know. You kind of hear it through what you've experienced and what you've heard before. And, you know, and listening to your music, there's, it resonates, I think, with certain things, but it has its own, you know, its own feeling to it, which is really strong, you know. And another aspect that was really great is just in, you know, listening to you guys warming up is nowadays, I don't know how you feel about it, but nowadays there's a lot of music that I go see live that doesn't sound better live. And I feel like you guys' music, even in live, there's, you know, it's the instrumentation, but it's just, it sounds really good in person. I mean, how do you feel about that dynamic of playing, yeah. actually playing instruments live and, you know, whereas that's, you know, not quite as common, or I guess it's common, but, you know, like when I was growing up in bands and going to see bands, there was no, I remember, I think it was in college when the first laptop, I saw the first laptop show, mm-hmm. you know, and it was like, and that was really avant-garde at that point, you know, right. but, um, you know, that's become much more the norm, and right. I think performing and that dynamic is a little less common as it used to be. Right. Yeah, I mean, we, we are coming from a place where we used to play with two, a guitar and cello and two vocals, and we tell the house guy to put some reverb on 
everything, basically. Yeah. And um, and it, it's hard work, you know, like especially yeah. because we're kind of writing these songs that are meant to grow and and you know kind of like have peaks and valleys. And <clears throat> now with the um, you know with the added drums and the keyboard and the effects and some loops and stuff it's like it's um, it's wonderful and it's easier to like sink into the song and, like, uh, on any given night even if the sound isn't impeccable to just like really feel it yeah um, which was a lot harder to do as, you know do. yeah I love hearing when people are like you know they've heard the record they come to the show and they're even more fired up yeah when people are like that was sounded way better than your record <laughs> no, but, uh, no, it's well, and in, inherently people respond to music differently live. Yeah, you know? of course. There's that the magic of seeing it that is undeniable. You just don't get it on a record, you know. Um, yeah, so that's maybe that's built into that yeah, a little bit, you know. Sure. So I don't want to keep you too long, but I did want to ask you about the new record. Can you just tell us about you know that process when it's coming out? What's it's you know what's going on with it? What's it sound like? Are you doing touring to you know support it? Anything yeah. you'd want to say about the new record? Yeah, it's coming out on August nineteenth um, with Sony Masterworks. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called Neptune, and uh, yeah, we got a busy tour starting in September, West Coast, Midwest, Europe, and nice. then uh, we'll come back for some uh, shows in New England. And um, yeah, we recorded it um, last year over a couple of different um, stints in mm -hmm. Vermont. Um, with two producers um, that we brought together, Ethan West and Oliver Hill. Nice. Um, and yeah, there was, it was just a really fun, creative process. It was great, great synergy between the two producers and and just as a, uh, as all of us. And and so Paul was there tracking drums too. Nice. And um, yeah, we're pumped about it. I think it's further down the road. We started on with the new EP adding a lot of layers mm -hmm. and uh, yeah cool I look forward to it alright well thanks so much for thanks. taking the time Appreciate out to chat it's been really great right. thank great you so much cool. alright thanks guys I came along an empty planet where I was born beside a lake The days were long and there was nothing in my eye Not a tear, not a bird, not a snake And Philip Crane, I must have missed him At the point of faith and disbelief The red man died without a spear there at his side I never learned the shape of the maple leaf
Bye.